And welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And Billy Holiday. Hello there. And this week we're going to look at uh, a game, a genre we don't really cover that often, the RPG genre with Earthbound for the Super Nintendo. But before we dive into that adventure, Billy, what have you been playing since our last show? I'm still just, I haven't had a lot of time and this, uh, this has been a game that has demanded a lot of time. I am knee deep in Stardew Valley still. I am just, I'm, I'm fucking catching fish. I'm planting crops. I'm down in the mines. I, I'm winning a lady or two over in town also. Uh, you know, giving them those fresh turnips every day, some flowers here and there, just doing what I can. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm hooked on this game. Something awful. I, uh, but it's it still, I'm on, I'm on year two. I've gone through all the seasons, uh, but there is still plenty for me to do. And I got on a FAQ to look up a couple of things and there are things on there I have yet to encounter. So I have a feeling that uh, this is going to be my, my monster hunter, or this is going to be my Witcher three that you guys had. This is going to be the one where you're just going to be fucking sick and tired of me mentioning it every single week, but it's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. I I'm the last person who can complain. I think I talked about Monster Hunter for two solid years, so I, <laughs> I, I cannot complain at all. Uh, I've I've only been playing a handful of things because yes, this game took a large amount of time. Uh, I wanted to make sure I played all the way through it before we talked about it, and, and I succeeded, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, the only other things I've been playing are I did pick up the Contra collection. Uh, yes, it's, it's a good collection, uh, but our next mini episode is going to be based on one of the games on that collection. So we'll save most of our comments for then, other than just to say, if, if you liked Contra, I can't imagine not buying that collection. Um, yeah. But the other thing I've been playing is I bought that Cadence of Hyrule. It's, oh, I, got, I did forget to mention, I did begin that. Uh, yeah, I'd never played uh, the, the Necrodancer, and I, I was, I, it looked interesting. Uh, I like all the Zelda music, so it, that on its own is going to get to me. I still don't know if I like it or not. It it seems really simple at times, but then when you actually get a screen full of enemies and you have to time your movements right and and making sure that you watch their attacks and how they're you know how they're moving to the music, it actually you know it gets pretty intense and you can die pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But I, I'm just not that good at it yet. I've only played it for maybe an hour. I I, I really mm-hmm. like it, but you know I, I again really pressed for time with with Earthbound coverage. But I, I think it's interesting and it's definitely. Uh, Interesting that Nintendo let the Zelda property be used yeah. for something like this, but it, it plays and looks a lot like, you know, a dancier Link to the Past. And I can't complain about that. That's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, it's good. And I, and I had similar worries early on. It just it seems a little too simple and you kind of worry it's going to stick around there. Uh, but I, uh, I've i got a few hours in and yeah, it does. It ramps up. So I, I think the challenge is, is going gonna, is gonna to come up there soon. Well, it's nice to use my Switch again. It's pretty much been sitting there unused since the kids have, have decided they're only going to use the Wii U for whatever god-awful reason. And so the Switch looks all sad. So I've got something else to play on it, which is nice. So, Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last show? Uh, well, I actually grabbed uh, Bloodstained uh, that it just came out uh, like a day ago. And uh, if you haven't been following that one, that is the Kickstarter from uh, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy that may, essentially has made all of uh, all the Castlevania games. Uh, uh, Igarashi, yes, Igarashi, and uh, including my all time one of my all time favorite games, Symphony of the Night. And this is essentially Symphony of the Night two, and it's man, it's I, I didn't know what to expect because you know Kickstarter games 
you just don't know anymore how they're going to turn out. They can start out with the best of intentions, mm-hmm. like ukulele, and then it releases like ukulele, and it's not very good like ukulele. Yes. But uh, this one, I mean, it's basically everything I could have ever wanted. I mean, this is essentially just Symphony of the Night 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, with different characters. And of course, you know, this isn't about vampires or Dracula. It's got a whole kind of weird story involving alchemists and mages and all kinds of mess, but it's still the same kind of game. I mean, this is Metroidvania through and through. If you don't like those kinds of games, then you're not going to like this, but there's just something about uh, the way this guy makes these kind of games, the way it flows, I guess Mm -hmm. it just, it, it feels good. There's just, it's so much fun to just, go through these stages and just all the crazy enemies and, and just stuff that you're finding. Uh, it's just, it's so good. I, I can't, I couldn't really expected more from it. It's, it's, uh, it, it's just a great game. Like I, I, I don't know. I wasn't really expecting much. I was expecting maybe like one of those, uh, Oh, what was those Castlevania games? Was it on the DS? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, like Those were really good, but they didn't quite step up to what Symphony of the Night was. They were Actually, still no, fun. They were, I'm sorry. They were Game Boy Advance games. The, Game the Boy good Advance one, Circle games. of the Moon and, and those those were Game Boy Advance. They did have a DS game that was okay, but it wasn't as good as those. Yeah. And it just, I mean, they were, they were fun, but this one finally kind of lives up to that. So far from what I've played anyway. I've really enjoyed it, and it is living up to Symphony of the Night standards. And they've added stuff. I mean, there's a whole crafting thing. Uh, you know, they've kind of got quests uh, put into the game. Like, you know, you, there's this woman you can find, uh, and she gives you, like, these these different quests that gives you rewards, like kill this so many enemies or something like that. It's nothing that gets in the way of anything. It's just something that's extra if you want to get some extra items. Uh, also, people around the castle that you can find that want certain items, uh, it's just uh, it just kind of expands on the overall game that Symphony of the Night was, and it's just I mean it's literally just that, and it tries really hard to, to I, I don't know trigger some of those old um, nostalgic you know the nostalgic glasses and the moments from those games. Uh, a lot of the music kind of sounds the same. A lot of the levels, I a lot of the levels kind of seem the same. So, uh, but. There's just enough different there that it it want you want to keep playing through it, and it, it's just um, it's a great game. I totally recommend it. Well, it, it looked like that was getting a lot of really good push on Twitter and stuff. People who mm-hmm. picked it up. I haven't seen any full reviews. I haven't hunted them down. But yeah, it looks like it's Symphony of the Night again, and I can't argue that that's not something I want. And hopefully, it's it, it sounds. You know, my fear more was that not that it wouldn't be Symphony of the Night, but slightly different. My fear would it would be. Uh, you know, a mighty number nine, but you know, for Castlevania, mm. and thankfully, it does not seem to be that sort of game. It looks like they've hit all the marks they need to, and I'll definitely be picking that up. It's not out for Switch yet. I think it comes out for Switch tomorrow or next week. Uh, I'll eventually get that. But that's that's. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it. That's one I was very concerned about. So, if you're saying it's like something night, that's a high high mark. Well, let's not talk about uh, retro releases that have come out recently. Let's talk about an actual retro game, Earthbound for the Super Nintendo. Oh boy. 
Here we go on this one. Uh, this game probably has the distinction before I played it uh, for this review. I will go ahead and say I did not finish it. I, I don't think I was far off. I didn't finish it, though, but this game has the distinction before this podcast of being the game I started and stopped the most. I uh, my, my video store had this one. Uh, I couldn't find it in stores to purchase. I, I can't say that I would have, but several weekends, several, I would pick this game up, play to about the same part, and then, you know, then finish up and, and take it back in, uh, rinse and repeat. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was actually nice to sit down this time and play much further through this thing than I ever had. So I never actually played this as a kid, but my cousin bought it. And I remember when he did buy it, it came in this ridiculously sized box. Uh, It was, you know, it's this oversized Super Nintendo game. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why is this in such a large box? And when you get it home and you open it up, it it came like a full size strategy guide. I think that's the thing I remembered most uh, from back then. And it also came with a bunch of like uh, scratch and sniff stickers. Mm. Uh, which is also something I, I, I think I still have somewhere uh, because the game was advertised over yeah. here in Nintendo Power. It's like, oh, you know, this is these gross monsters and stuff like yeah. that. It was like, this game stinks. Yeah, this game Legit stinks. Legit smelled like shit. There was one that oh, smelled God, like I, old spaghetti, and it almost yeah. made me fucking throw up as a kid. It's like I still opened up uh, the box or the, the bag that it was in, and it, that... <laughs> That thing was still there, and it's like, oh god, it just, uh, just nearly puts you to the floor. But yeah, that was like something that was like a, you know, I don't know if Nintendo just didn't have the confidence when it was released to know that any, <laughs> to think that anyone would want to play this, uh, because it was just a such such a strange game, and to, but to put an entire like this was a fairly thick strategy guide that they put in there with this game. And but it it so it was just always kind of neat to me that that they really went that far into trying to make I don't know that game kind of special whenever they mm-hmm. did release it. Well, yeah, and it was released late. It came out in the U.S. in uh, June of 1995. It came out in Japan a year earlier, and that's you know right around the time June 1995 is when the Saturn came out, at least the soft launch. It was only like four stores, but it was out, and the PlayStation was being advertised everywhere to come out later that year. So. You know, this was the very end of the Super Nintendo. It was in that giant box. You couldn't buy it any other way in the U.S. other than in the mm-hmm. giant box that came with the the uh, strategy guide. And because of the low number that they made and the fact that it was such a big box and it had to come with a strategy guide, it was $70, and it never went lower uh, in my store, at least. We sold it at full price until finally they sold, like, the two copies we had, and we never saw it again. And it was not it, it was not it didn't fly off the shelves. The the box itself just has like a cartoony looking orange robot uh, and the name Earthbound and, and it advertises that it does in fact have a strategy guide. And it does not it's not a great box. It did not draw me into the game. It's a sequel to a game that we never got here in the US. It's a sequel to Mother, which came out in nineteen eighty nine for the Nintendo, um, or the Famicom, and we never got it over here. So, you know, they, they didn't call it Mother Two here. It wouldn't have made any sense. They called it Earthbound. And yeah, their their advertisement, like you mentioned, was just to talk about like this game is stinky or man, look at these these like this game will make you vomit and all these other like they, they focused on the fact that the game has, you know, it has some I don't want to call it fart jokes, but it's that kind of humor. There's you fight vomit 
and you fight, uh, you know, monsters that burp at you, and and they, you know, they're little goofy things that at the time, I, I mean, even when I played it through this time, it's a neat little touch, but to focus on that as the reason to play the game, I, I don't know, that's a major misfire, and and apparently, you know, you you said you you couldn't find a copy to buy, and and most people, you know, didn't buy it or couldn't find a copy. It did not sell many copies at all. I think they sold around 150,000 copies of this game in the U.S., which is mm. not much at all. Again, bad timing, uh, bad marketing, and it's a sequel to a game we never saw. So that that does explain a lot of why it uh, it didn't do too well. Uh, and also, it's a it's an RPG, which Nintendo had RPGs, but if they didn't say Square, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how many people were super excited. Square or Enix, like those were the yeah. two companies. If they put out a role playing game, you're excited. There are definitely other role playing games that came out, but this was an actual Nintendo branded role-playing game and it looks really cartoony uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the characters are are little kids that you play as a lot of the monsters you fight are i don't want to say poorly drawn but the art decision uh, on this game is definitely on the more cartoony uh, you know some of the monsters look like you could have drawn them yourself and just thrown them up on the screen like they aren't yes. there's nothing that's extremely detailed looking for the most part it's all this this very cartoony upbeat graphic style and the setting for the game is essentially modern you know a lot of these a lot of role-playing games will be high fantasy or you'll go way into the future and it has you know crazy robots and all this other stuff this game instead is just now essentially yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean it's not not 2019 but but 1995 or whatever the Mm -hmm. year that you're playing the game is uh, is is the the setting for the game and not a lot of games did that mainly because it's Mm -hmm. it's hard to make that interesting because you can just go outside I thought that was the, the the thing that actually turned me off to the game back when I'd look at the back of the box, because mm. like you said, the, the front of the box was just odd. You know, it doesn't really do anything to explain what's going on. And then you turn it over and like these graphics are just super simple. Like they look almost like they're NES sprites or something. Yeah. yeah. And like in the time, like back then I was just, I was a huge graphic snob, especially on the super NES and I was like, you know, in the time of like Chrono Trigger and all these amazing looking RPGs and just to turn that over and see that, I was like, what, what the fuck is this game? Like, this doesn't look like anything that I would want to play. It's just, you're in a town, you know, it's not this awesome sci-fi or, or fantasy setting. You're just walking around the town, I, I guess. So I, I just, <laughs> I never gave it a chance. Yeah. And I, and that's one of the things this was like when the, the, the push was really there as far as graphics go and, and everyone was making a big deal about it. So yeah, I, I was jarred by it. I think it's probably the reason I picked it up to begin with because it was, it was different at that point uh, from everything else that was out there. As far as the presentation, I did want to ask though, I, I will openly admit I am not familiar any other part of the series with this being a sequel. Was, was there anything like that, that we would, miss or or not know going into this one uh, these are small kids in this one i can't imagine they, they're they a carryover from the first none of the characters are carryovers uh except mm-hmm. for the main villain mm-hmm. from the original mm-hmm. game is my understanding i'm sure there's okay. got to be you know some side characters that are the same or, or things yeah, like that yeah. but um i admittedly have not played the, mm-hmm. the original game mm-hmm. uh it is actually out now in the u.s you can find it called earthbound beginnings it's on the wii u virtual console and it's the first time it's ever been translated and released here mm-hmm. i have it and i started playing it and it feels a lot like this to the point where i uh, before i did any more research assumed that earthbound was a remake like a a, a reimagining uh, yeah. of the original um, but apparently it's because you're, you're another kid with a baseball hat. His name is okay. uh, 
His name is Ninten, and instead of NES. Oh boy. Yeah, it, it's it, but it it's a different game, but it's still very similar. And there's callbacks to things that happened in that game in this game, mm-hmm. but nothing that you need to understand. Okay, all right. The game itself is is a pretty standard, I would say an old school JRPG style game. The yeah. combat, you know, you're walking around a map. Uh, in this game, you can see the enemies, uh, which at first I, I don't, don't really like that in games. Or if you're walking around and, and you see the enemy, you can avoid them. You can't really avoid them too easily in this game. If you can see an enemy, they kind of run straight at you. And with the exception of if there are trees or something you can kind of dance around to get away mm. from them there's not really an easy way to escape combat but at least no, you kind of know I, what's coming th- this felt like it felt like more of a tease than anything just the the you know that yeah you uh, it makes you think you can get away from it but i i pretty much i don't know if it's my skill level or not they may as well have been just random encounters that popped up i was not able to avoid hardly any enemies out there i did appreciate that if you were a high enough level, and you came across these these enemies, mm, it mm-hmm. would just instantly move you. It was like, you win. It's like they wouldn't even load the battle screen. It would just be like, you win. You can move yes. on now. Well, that, yes. that was great. And one step beyond that, not just would that happen, but a lot of the time, the monsters on the screen would run away from you. If you're mm. strong enough, you wouldn't get into combat with them unless you chase them down. And then, yes, yeah. if, if you chase them down, a lot of the time it would flash real quick and say, like, you win and give you experience and whatever. Uh, it's never much experience at that point, but still, it, it's nice to see you get something for fighting. Um, because it is an RPG, you have stats. Uh, the stats in this game are very, very simple and very basic, and it tells you as you're leveling up, like, you get one extra offense point, one extra defense point. You know, mm-hmm. it, it tells you what you're getting. Um, after every fight, you get, instead of getting money out of your fights, you just get experience. Money in this game is one of the things that I, I think is interesting, but also uh, a little annoying. So every time you kill enemies or get far enough in the game, you are earning money. You just don't have access to it in your pocket because these are dogs and uh, you know weird alien creatures and stuff, so they don't just have cash on them that you would take. Instead, Uh, As you're fighting the game and getting better, you find an ATM machine, and your dad has been putting money in for you while you've been playing, and the equivalent is is whatever you would have earned in combat. So you do earn a lot of money in this game, but in order to buy things, it means you have to go find an ATM, which in some places are not in the store you're at. Get out the money you need, take it back, buy the things you need, but you don't want to have a bunch of money on you, because if you die with your money on you, whatever's on you, you lose half of immediately. So if you have, you know, $200,000 in the game in your ATM and you take it all out to buy some stuff and you still have 100000 on your person and you don't take it back to the ATM, you walk out of town, you get into some fights and you, you get to a boss and lose, well, there's half your money totally gone. Where if you make it and go, if you take it and go back to the uh, ATM, make sure to deposit it in the bank, it stays there. And that's not, an, a, a bank is not an, un, a new concept, but the idea that all the money you earn immediately goes into that bank. And you have to, you know, make sure you're constantly going back and forth and finding where these banks are. Uh, interesting, but a, a tad annoying. Well, I think, <laughs> I think that will be the theme as we continue on 
throughout this review. Yeah, it's it's a mechanic I can appreciate, and, and I think I mean it's it's sure I haven't seen much like that since where you know you don't earn money, and and yeah, you never question why this particular animal just happened to have some fucking money on him and a sword and all kinds of damn shit and other RPGs. But in that, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense for them to not provide anything uh, in, in the, the money department. Uh, but yeah, all this leads to though, if you don't know that ahead of time, is it everybody is guaranteed to have one fucking heartbreak where they just, you know, that money's there and they just withdraw all of it and they go about their business and little do they know that they're going to part with, with half of it pretty soon after that. I think that's like a theme with most of this game. It's, it's a very interesting game that does some interesting things with some very basic gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like the, uh, you know, we're just talking about the battles and stuff like that. Like this is straight out of something like dragon quest Yes, where the enemy is just right in front of you. You, you don't see your characters on the screen. You just have uh, some boxes at the bottom that represents your HP and things like that. Which by itself is super just basic as hell, mm. but like it, it does some really neat stuff. Like when you get hit, instead of just all of your HP taken out at the same time, it's on a ticker, like a, a you know just a number ticker that that slows that slowly counting down. And if you receive like a fatal blow from something, uh, instead of just dying instantly, that ticker is counting down. And if you can heal yourself or something like that before it counts down all the way to zero then you can save yourself. So, I mean, there's just some really cool things like that, that that's implemented into a very basic RPG that just makes this such a a, a unique game. Yeah. And, and one of the, the, one of the prevailing, the dialogue in it and the, you know, this, the little flavor they add to everything. I, I, it's one of the early fights where, uh, one member of your party does not want to take part in the fight. So they complain the entire, and you know, the little bubble pops up like it would, if you made an attack, you know, uh, the, the, and they're just complaining to you. They're crying, they're hiding. And, and I just, and it's so early on and you really get kind of an idea for the humor of the game. Well, and, and in, in addition, because it's an RPG, you do have to find new weapons, new armors, new items to wear. And, and again, it's, it's modern themed. So your main character is Ness He's a little boy who uses mostly baseball bats and a yo-yo at some point. So he's, he's using little kid items as weapons. Um, there are four characters you can play as in the game for the most part. Uh, and they, unlike a game like the original Final Fantasy, you're not decide, you don't have any control over their class or what their abilities are. These are predetermined characters. They have a, a plot, you know, part in the plot of the story. And they all are very different. I actually really like the breakdown of characters in this game. Uh, because every ver- every copy of Earthbound that you would have bought came with a strategy guide. And it's a full strategy guide. It goes from the beginning of the game all the way to the end of the game. It explains every boss. It tells you what to do. I don't feel bad about, you know, ruining plot points to some level. Because if, if you have this game, you can flip through that guide and it will do the same thing for you. So... If for some reason you're you're listening to this podcast and now you're like, I want to try this game. I, I've heard that it's really good. These guys are saying it's interesting. I want to give it a shot. I guess stop this and go play it. But but at the same time, and we're going to get to this towards the end of, of the review, I think without this, the guide that it came with, I don't necessarily know how you would beat this game. Um, it's It's got a lot of little things that it doesn't really explain well. I don't know if that's a translation issue or what. But uh, but we'll get to those later. But either way, uh, I, I don't feel bad, ex- you know, kind of 
getting into the characters and some of the plot points and how the game moves along. So if that's not something you want to hear, I guess stop listening. So like I was saying, you have four different characters. So you have Ness, who you start with. He's mainly a physical combat character, although he does have some magic, which in this game is Psy, like psychic ability, uh, that starts up pretty weak early on, but gets stronger and stronger as the game goes on. You get Paula, who you meet later on in the game, and she is a heavy magic character, a heavy Psy character. Uh, then you get Jeff. Uh, you can rename all these characters, by the way, but I'm using their default names. Um, you get Jeff, who has no magic ability whatsoever, but he can find broken mechanical items and fix them and get things like a bazooka or a machine that makes slime shoot at enemies and freeze them in place. Like He gets a lot of really weird little gimmicks that he can use over and over again like magic, but it takes no magic to use those items, and I don't think they're nearly as effective as the magic, but it's still a really cool little mechanic. And then the last character you meet is unfortunately named Pooh. Uh, I actually didn't know that was his default name. <laughs> I, I used a... If you, if you are naming your characters at the beginning, you can kind of pick I don't care, and it cycles through a series of names. And I don't know if it's that I'm... Uh, I don't want to say mildly racist, but, but one of the names that came up was Ramen, so I assumed that had to be his real name, and I used oh. it. But his name is Pooh, uh, and he is a a. a I'd rather personally character. be fucking. I'd rather personally be fucking called Ramen. It yeah, Pooh is not a great name. Uh, he's a he's an interesting character because he is very very strong. Uh, he's got some very good magic attacks, but he has the ability to copy the enemies that you're fighting. And mm -hmm. I used that ability approximately one time, so I don't know if that's yeah. really the best way to use him. And I just didn't do it very well. Uh, but he has he has all four of these characters have their own little tweaks to how they play that that is interesting i mean i it's been a long time since i've played an rpg that has such a specific character breakdown of what their abilities are and, and in a way that's a it's a downside in this game because if you are in certain fights and you lose say uh poo for example then you've lost the ability to resurrect anybody in your party unless you have the bunch of the right items um they're really cool characters, and it's a really good party once you get everyone together. But there's definitely a real easy way to handicap yourself if you're not using everybody exactly the right way. And that was the big adjustment for me because I am used to, you know, in RPGs and, and whatnot, I just I, I kind of settle on one character and just build the shit out of them and just depend on them to carry everyone through. And it, it's hard to do that on this one. So I, I do have to say, I think Ness is, is definitely the heaviest hitter on the team. I, I think I usually had to depend on him when it came time to really, you know, do the damage on there. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was, it was interesting and it was an adjustment to kind of get that team mechanic down and really have to learn uh, the strengths of every character. Wherein, whereas in the past in RPGs, I always felt like, hey, if I keep this one or two characters strong, it doesn't really matter. The rest of them are filler. You know, they're they're there to take a turn, hopefully take a hit. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a different way of playing this game. Kind of kind of makes you have to to take up. So I, I do, I did appreciate that aspect of it. And whether it was intentional or not, I think it really makes you know it focuses on the team aspect you mm -hmm. know that the whole game is is really centered around being a team with your friends and and hanging out with your friends and doing stuff and it doesn't really seem to make anyone more important than the other person which a lot of rpgs like you said can you know it's just not like you've got this one person you can you can rely on you got to keep everyone around mm -hmm. 
I'd say the least important, only because he's involved for the least amount of time, is Poo. And and that's he comes in kind of late in the game, and then he vanishes for a little while. And uh, at least at the speed I was playing, I, I definitely casually played this as far as I didn't try to rush through anything until, mm-hmm. you know, it was Monday of this week and we had to record. And so I, I got to the point where I was just plowing through everything I could as fast as I could. Um, I did not have to do any grinding in this game. I don't know if either of you chose to or had to, but I think if you just, as you're going through the levels and there are some dungeons you find, if you just kill everything on each screen, you're going to be strong enough to finish the game off. You don't need to sit there and, you know, go in and out of rooms and keep keep spawning creatures and fighting them. I think this is not a game that requires you to do any of that at all. No, that was, Jesus, that was well appreciated. Um, I naturally did grind a little bit. Uh, just, you know, because I assumed it was required. Uh, but yeah, I, I found that I was able, you know, if as long as I just kind of progressed along. Like I said, I wasn't able to avoid many fights at all. So if, if there was a fight to be had, I did it. But, you know, I didn't do any extra uh, besides what was required of me. That, you know, as far as I played through the game, which was pretty damn close to the end... Uh, yeah, I, I felt I was kind of neck and neck uh, with all the enemies uh, and, you know, the, some of the bigger enemies. Yeah, they would put up a challenge, but it was usually just a matter of me just going about them in a different way. And I was able to pull it off. So, yeah, I mean, just minimal grinding on this thing. things i think that that we haven't really explained enough or maybe haven't focused on enough uh i don't want to go through the plot of the game necessarily but this game is regarded as you know a classic game and a lot of people have a a very favorable memory of the game if they played through it i think it's entirely because this game has nothing but character Mm. i mean from from the start of the game it's it's kind of a slow starter in my opinion but once you get rolling like there's a lot there's a lot of, of notable characters, a lot of kind of bizarre little things that happen, but yet at the same time are totally fun and interesting, and you haven't seen it before in other games. There's even some of the, the monster choices are, you know, like you fight piles of vomit, and you fight these weird giant caveman things, and then at the same time you're fighting killer teddy bears, or you're fighting mm-hmm. you know any kind of weird little monster that makes any sense, and, and they kind of logically make sense as to why they are where they are generally. But there's... Uh, the, the, the little side quests you go on, the characters you meet in towns, everybody that you, you kind of interact with are, have a lot of flavor, a lot of character. And, and I kept yeah. playing just to see. At no point was I bored with the story. Uh, even if I was bored with the game sometimes or I had to kind of push through some sections that I, I did not care for. Uh, you know, I don't like when you lose a party member um, in any of these games. It's one thing if they make it a short piece for a story, but there's a section where you lose Paula for far too long, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She is your, your main magic user. There are definitely monsters you will fight during that section that are uh, not invincible to physical hits, but are definitely better when you fight them with magic. And so you have to just kind of plow through this long-ass section to get Paula back. But even that section is a good example. That's early enough in the game. I don't think we're spoiling anything. You have to go to, like, a giant shopping mall, and then you get to the top of the shopping mall, and you fight 
fight a villain that kind of tells you you have to figure out where the the boss is hiding and you go to this bar and at the bar there's some weird interdimensional thing you find and it warps you to like the negative world you have to wander through like there's all these like little bizarre things that happen in the game but it's non-stop there's not any point where these kind of things aren't occurring and and that's something i i think is what this game is known for that that you know it's a lot of out there ideas it's a lot of stuff that was like yeah we just threw everything at this game that we came up with and it it all works together as a narrative but but there were no points where i was bored with what was happening in the game oh yeah i mean i just uh, i told jeremy before we start recording i w- uh, this would have been uh, a fun one just to watch <laughs> take the fight scenes out and just watch because this game is just it's off the rails it's it's dripping with personality and humor and the humor is actually like we talked about with grim fame dango it's one of those rare occasions where the humor is pretty spot on i it, it kind of lines up and I, I got a lot of laughs out of this thing whether it's the like you're saying the character names uh, there's a uh, countless character names just humorous and just little bits of dialogue here and there and whew, this this Ran, I ran into some trouble. I have the worst compulsion in these games. In an RPG, I, I love it when there there aren't a lot of town areas, or if there are, they're they're you know sparsely populated. Because I am just obsessed with talking to every single person over and over until I've exhausted their dialogue and it starts to repeat. And there are some folks on here who have a fuck ton to say. Uh, you, you just keep coming up to it. There's something different every time. Uh, there was one guy, it was, it was no less than like 15 times I came up to him. And obviously that it's a test because at the end he gave me, you know, he gave me 50 bucks for, for listening to him ramble on and on <laughs> at, at length. Uh, and I just can't help it. And this game, I just, they have put so much work into just programming all of this dialogue for these characters and, and even pointless uh, characters that just seem pointless the story along and you wouldn't know it unless you just fucking talked to everybody and but it's well worth because you know for everybody you talk to every few every few folks they're going to have some kind of comedic gem for you i I, one of my favorite i can't remember the town i it was it was a guy and i think in a hotel lobby he was one of the workers he was telling me about a a solitaire tournament and and informed me that he lost his shirt there last night. And then the, <laughs> and then there's a few periods, and then he says, "Maybe I'll invite you tonight." I was like, "Well, well." I, the the illegalities with that aside, it, it was it was funny, and just a, I, that's just a, a cross section. Imagine countless hours of just this crazy random shit, whether it's dialogue boxes uh, from townsfolks or in the middle of a battle. And uh, I can see the game is just uh, it's one of those if you can get through it. And I will say, I said earlier, this is one I started and stopped so many times. This game, for all the good things I've said about it, it has the slowest, maybe 20 minutes, slowest opening 20 minutes of any game. Uh, And not everybody's going to make it through that. And, but if you do, I, I think the game really kind of starts to show you what it's made of and, and what it has to offer. And at that point in time, you decide if that's, you know, if that humor is your kind of thing, continue on. If it's not your kind of thing, then I couldn't really tell you to stick around. 
Yeah, I, this was one of the very few RPGs that I've really wanted to... I went out of my way to talk to everyone that was around. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't like your standard fantasy RPG village where you walk up to some woman and she's like, I like cheese, you know, it's just, and that's it. You know, everyone seems to have something really interesting to say uh, and multiple times over sometimes. And like, I, it was just always a joy to go into these towns and, and to see, you know, to see what kind of weird characters that I was going to come across because you just didn't know this game's so out there yeah. in a lot of ways. It's so weird. Uh, one, I, you know, I believe the guy that actually directed the game or whatever, you know, he's a actor slash comedian or something like that. And a lot of that really comes through with just a lot of just the strain, these strange characters that you come mm-hmm. across just nonstop throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, it's just not a section or anything like that. I mean, there's, it just doesn't really end. You come across this this uh, little section where these guys, these big nose guys, I, I forget their names, Mister Saturn. Yes, Mister Saturn, yes. and they speak to you in these in this crazy language that's just like it's almost like drawn instead of just like letters. It's like drawn in inside the the, the speech box, mm-hmm. and it's just so crazy to find something like this just out of nowhere. It, I it's it's such a strange game and I think that's what really carries it along because I mean I'm kind of like you guys I feel like there were definitely sections where it's just where I was slogging through some things especially the inventory uh but mm. there, there's so much good <laughs> in in just how weird this game is that I just constantly wanted to see what was next or who I'd meet next yeah I mean it's yeah like all oh, the inventory yes we can speak on that for sure but it, it, it's one of those things where there was just that desire to keep going, see what just batshit stuff was coming up. I, I think really just keeps pushing you through it, even if the the gameplay is 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 not your cup of tea, even if it's you know you just find it kind of kind of basic and whatnot. Yeah, it's just for every little bit of time you spend, you know, bored fighting out. Yeah, I mean, you end up in a fucking town where they painted everything blue, and there's a and there's just you never know what you're going to come upon on this. It follows no, uh, no logical conventions as you go along. Well, it doesn't, as far as the little things like that, like finding the town where everyone paints everything yes. blue for some sort of cult. It, it's, it is, it is a, a series of things that are all explained by that. The, you know, the ultimate evil, which is named Gigas is, is causing people to go insane or to do things mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't normally do, or is trying to, con- you know, turn people into a cult, whatever the situation is, the, the ultimate evil alien force gigas is behind all of it and in order to stop him as ness uh who is you know kind of the chosen one who has these these psychic powers that you you get early on and they get stronger and stronger is the one destined to stop him and you do that by going you know through the world to find these eight magical spots that that like sing a little song and you record that song in a magical stone and and then eventually you know you find your your inner power and then go ahead and challenge challenge gigas it's it's a great story actually but it is you know you brought up that it, it does have that 20 minutes at the beginning. I think it's longer than that. I think the first mm-hmm. hour of this game is mm-hmm. deceiving. It's very slow. It only has you playing as Ness. And you do have other characters at the beginning that, you know, Pokey, who's your neighbor, who asks you to go help him find his brother. And, and you go with your dog and you, you try to go save his brother at the beginning. And during that time, and this is why I was turned off on this game at first, you can only control what Ness does. Everybody else just does whatever. If, you, if you're using Ness and you say to attack, then everyone else will probably attack. Or it puts up a little block that says, like, 
the dog decides to scratch its butt or whatever happens that the dog doesn't attack or, you know, Pokey hides behind you or, or whatever the situation is. So, so you couldn't control the other characters. And while I like a game that doesn't let me control all the characters like Final Fantasy XII, you still ultimately are telling those characters what to do. You create their, their move, you know, their move structure in that game, even though it takes a while to learn it. Where this game at first I thought, oh crap, I'm going to control one person. I'm going to have a party of six people that I can't control. They're going to do whatever they want to do. I hate that. Um, the Persona games start like that. When you're playing Persona, all the characters you earn originally do their own thing, but you can turn off that and turn on the ability to you control all of them directly. I can't imagine playing a game where I don't control all those characters in some way. So that, that turned me off because I thought the whole game was going to be me getting characters to join me and they do whatever they want while I'm essentially the only controllable character. I don't enjoy that at all. But no, you get past that first hour and you finally get moving. You meet you meet Paula later on. You get to the second town. It, and, it, and it does become a much more coherent, standard JRPG mechanically, but it has these really weird story elements uh, along with... Uh, I, I don't want to. I, I know I just mentioned Persona, and this is nothing at all like Persona. But what I would say for balance as Persona is in the later fights of the game, if you don't know exactly how to counter what an enemy's doing and what the best attack is to use against that enemy, you're probably going to lose miserably. And Persona is very much like that. Like that, Persona is not a hard game to play through once you learn, okay, here's an enemy's weakness. So if I hit that, I can do extra attacks, whatever. And so if you don't do that, those fights are super, super hard. And this game has that same kind of mindset where as long as you can figure out what to do to, to hurt an enemy more or what to do to counteract their attack, uh, and that's actually one of Jeff's abilities. He, he can kind of study an enemy and give you some hints on what to do. It makes most of those fights fairly trivial. But again, because everyone's so balanced, if there's a character you're fighting that's that's only hurt by ice attacks, you know, more than a minimal amount, and you lose Paula, well, then you've lost your ability to do those ice attacks. And there's nothing you can do about it unless you have some resurrection items in your in your pocket or you're far enough along in the game to have the resurrection spell. So it's definitely... It starts out slow, and it starts out, I'm almost insultingly easy as far as the mechanics go, but it, it needs to lay those groundwork, that, that groundwork on the, the, the engine to make the later levels where it is fairly complex with what you need to be paying attention to, uh, you know, flow a lot smoother. So I, I do appreciate it, but it definitely, I, I'd say the first hour is painfully slow, and even then you need to get throughout the next five or six. You, you need to have three people in your party to start really understanding what the game's asking you to do. And I think that was actually the hardest thing for me to do playing it through basically for the first time. Cause I watched my cousin play it back in the day. And I think I maybe watched him play like the first hour or two. And I was convinced that this was just a, a, an RPG made for children. You know, the, the game that you would play if you ever wanted to play RPGs and you ever played them and you're six years old, this is, you know, play some earthbound. I, I never realized that it got as complex as it does. Not so much complex, but the challenge definitely goes from non-existent to you really fucking know what you need to do by the end of that game. It, it's non-existent to a, a a very involved paper rock scissors. Like if you don't have the right the right defense for the attack that's coming, or if you don't know what you need to do to hurt this person, or that that person's really you know they yeah, they do a lot of damage when they hit you, but they also are very susceptible to sleep spells or whatever the situation is. This game has a lot of that, and if you're not doing it and you're not extremely overpowered for the area, especially towards the end, you can get wiped out quick. 
I feel that like sometimes that can actually just come out of nowhere. Like, especially for like a lot of the enemies that you're fighting, you know, in a game where you're fighting abstract art sometimes, or the, uh, oh, what is it? The, the hippie who can hurt, hurt you with his white teeth or whatever when he brushes <laughs> his teeth, you know, for things like that, you really don't expect like the next battles or, or something, you know, down the road to just end you in, in one hit out of nowhere. And I, that, that definitely happened to me a few times where it's like, oh my God. What is this? The challenge has happened, and I now need to actually pay attention to what's going on instead of hoping for for humorous text to come on the screen. Yeah, this game has a lot of really, you know, we've, we've mentioned that that it, it does have a, a pretty good combat engine. It, it builds up. It's got a really good story. I mean, if nothing else, the, the story and the side quests and all the character meet are, are 100% worth playing this game for. Uh, and, and again, I, I really enjoyed this once I got past that first few hours. This game does have some fairly significant problems, and a lot of that is based on it being an older game. So, you know, inventory is something we mentioned earlier. Each character can hold, I want to say, 15 or 16 items. It's not very many. And that includes the items that you're equipped on. So if, if you're equipped with a bat and a ring, and what, then those are also part of your inventory. So even in the best-case situation, you've got four of your slots already filled up for every character. Uh, additionally, there's a, there's a whole bunch of items you need to progress the story. So Ness, for example, you get that song stone at the beginning of the game. And you have to have that in your inventory. There's nothing you can do about it. Same with the town map. Town map takes up some inventory. So Ness himself, at least in my game, never ever had any open inventory slots. It was all filled with keys and things you needed for to, to progress the story. Uh, the game, the, the game is also very good at kind of poking, you know, being tongue in cheek with the fact that it's a game. So there are things that block your way that are ridiculously solved so one of the early things you find is there's like this giant statue of a pencil in your way and so you find a magical eraser and that will make that pencil go away i mean little goofy things but that means that you have to keep that eraser in your inventory and mm-hmm. later on you find something that deletes magic erasers an eraser eraser and you have to have that in your inventory so there's all these things you must keep on your body at all times to to make sure that you don't have to go back to a town because you can store items uh, it will not let you throw away key items, thankfully. Uh, it will warn you, like, no, you shouldn't throw that away. But it still means that you've pretty much filled your body, filled your, your inventory just to progress the story. And Jeff is very similar. Since Jeff fixes items, any broken item you find, you give to Jeff. Well, eventually Jeff's just got his four inventory, you know, his four equipped items, and then an inventory full of broken items and items you fixed. And, and until I had four characters, I don't think I ever had more than one or two inventory slots open. And so that means any chest you find in a dungeon, anything you get dropped from an enemy, you have to then do the inventory management game. Oh, well, what, what do I think isn't important? What is it mm-hmm. that I don't mind dropping? Can I drop this food item because the food items heal you? Can I drop this potion that I don't know what it does? Like, you don't want to lose anything, but you have to do that. And I hate that. And see, like, I, I generally love inventory management in RPGs, but... Yeah, <laughs> this one is one of the one of the worst I've seen, uh, especially at, at the beginning of the game when you've really just gotten Ness and and you know you're just constantly filling up that inventory. I mean, really, the only thing that makes 
anything manageable is is what is it the s cargo cargo or whatever yeah yeah i mean that's uh you know you can call on that and and that helps a little bit but still this this is one of the worst inventories that i've ever seen in in an rpg it doesn't ruin the game by any means no not at all but it is it is definitely something that is is just i mean you can point to all the amazing things this game does and it does do a lot of really great things but the inventory management in this game is just terrible well and and because and this is not a a problem with just this game and in fact most nes era and, and super nes era games had this problem any item you get you don't know what it does. You can mm-hmm. click the item, and there's a help option, and it will tell you what it does. And that's great, but there's no reason, other than that just, that's just not how these interfaces worked, that when you highlight the item, it doesn't tell you what it does. Or if it doesn't, it's just all question marks. You use it once, and then it tells you what it does. Whatever it takes to define that. But to have to look up each item, and especially if it's a if it's a, just a piece of food or whatever, like it, it doesn't really tell you, hey, this heals 82 hit points it'll say oh it, it heals a fair amount of hit points there are a few things that it actually says it will heal around 100 hit yeah. points but generally it just says it heals you and or or it gives you some extra power or whatever that means you got to determine the same thing happens with your spells when you earn psychic powers in this game it doesn't tell you what they do on the screen where you use them you have to not be in combat and go look at your stat screen for each character. And then you can look at each spell and it will tell you generally what they do. Uh, now, again, this is kind of counteracted by the fact that if you bought this game, you have a 135-page manual that defines all of these things very well for you. So you don't need, you know, you have to assume you have access to that manual if you're playing this game. And in fact, this is now available on the Super NES Classic and you can can buy it on the, the virtual console for the, the Wii U and the Wii. And Nintendo has made this this guide free to download. You can just go and search Earthbound Player's Guide, and there's a, a bunch of actual Nintendo sites that you can download it from, totally authorized to do so. Uh, and I highly recommend it. We're going to have links to that on all our social media sites. But yeah, so there, there's definitely things where you, without that guide, you wouldn't know what things you're getting do, what your spells do, what the stats mean, and more importantly to the game itself. And I think some of this is not as bad as I had a problem with, but I couldn't figure out certain story elements without that guide. For example, early, you know, you're supposed to find these eight spots, uh, the magic spots before you can get to the end of the game that give you the, the, the power up that stone. And the second one is in an area when you first get Paula and you save her, you know, the, the people mention like, oh, there's this, this area to the east of town that's scary. I don't like that cave. It's a scary cave. And if you first go in there, when you get Paula, she dies in one hit almost immediately and anything happens in there. And even you are taking most of your damage in one or two hits. So I just figured in standard RPG, you know, uh, standard RPG fashion, this is the game telling me you're not high level enough to be here. You're going to come back here later. Don't worry about it. Well, nothing ever makes you go back there. There's no story element to return there until the very, very end of the game. If you never went back, at a certain point, someone lists all the places where these magic spots are, and one of those magic spots is in that cave. So the idea is you're supposed to then, at the, in, in theory, you're supposed to get Paula and then go outside of the town and level up, grind a little bit there, and then go back into that cave to get to that, that second special spot. I didn't do that. I, I ended up, because I had the manual, and I was looking through the guide, and, and I was like, oh, that's where that is. So I ended up going back a few towns later. But if you got to the very end of the game, or right before the very end of the game, 
there's essentially somebody who says, hey, if you go into these eight spots, here's exactly where they are. And then you, you know, by that point, you've earned a teleport uh, and, and you can kind of go back anywhere. The only other part I and and did I know, Billy, you said you didn't finish this. Have you ever finished this game? I have never, never finished this game. I'm going to go back uh, after this and, and do so. But no, I had uh, I'd maybe only gotten like about five or six hours in originally. Uh, this time I had I had gotten much much further, but no, I have I have yet to wrap this thing up. I, I'm actually right at the end, so I'm I didn't quite have time to finish it up before the podcast, but no, I, I'm right there at the end, so I'm I'm probably gonna probably gonna finish this one up here pretty soon. So the very last fight has a the only way you can win is a gimmick. The only way you can win the last fight is to do something that I don't see anything in the game at all would tell you to do. Mm. except for i mean there's there's a couple options there there could be a translation issue and therefore that's why you know you don't know what to do this could be a case where if you played the original game you would know what to do uh it, it's a very specific move and again i don't mind giving it away because it's in the manual it specifically spells out what to do uh in that in that guide so again if you don't want to hear it perhaps perhaps turn this off um because i'm going to explain it in a second but there was nothing that I found in the game at all that tells you what to do. And and so I guess Jeremy, if you don't want to hear how to <laughs> how to finish the game, turn off turn off the podcast. But you get to the, the there's one person in your party that has the ability to pray. Have you used Paula's ability to pray? No. No. <laughs> so no. if you use it in other battles, and I did when I either kind of ran out of ideas or just to see what it did, sometimes it would help you. Sometimes it would do things like heal everybody in the party 5 to 10 hit points. Other times it would cause everyone to lose any buffs, but also any negative buffs they had. So if you had a, a minus to your, you know, someone had, had cast a spell, on an enemy cast a spell that lowers your offense, she cancels that out sometimes with praying. But again, the effect of the prey is random. And other times, prey would do like a, I affect everybody with this negative thing. So the enemies are, are blind, but you are too. You know, it was always like this weird this weird mix of how helpful is this this prey ability when you get to the last like i did actually use it once but i wasn't i didn't know what it did so it it was just i'm guessing it was just one of those random things and i just never used it again right it was it was kind of an emergency button and sometimes Mm -hmm. it helps you and if not you're already dead you know you're already fucked anyway if you're using the emergency button so who cares the only way to beat the last boss involves that ability nothing explains that to you anywhere there was nothing that I found that would tell me what to do that would say, hey, when you get to this point, you know, only, you know, praying to the heavens will help you. Or you know, if, if someone said something, I would have felt better about it. But the book explains literally it's like go there and pray a bunch of times. You're like, OK. And so I got through the fight without a concern after I flailed around for an hour. And I'm not joking. I got to a point where where Ness was strong enough and had enough defense that the enemy was doing, you know, like 50 points of damage a hit. And then I would. I would attack and do a fair amount of damage to the last boss, and it looked like it was never going anywhere. And then I would heal, and I would keep going. And after an hour of that, where I was just, I was like, what am I doing wrong? What is happening that's causing this fight to not progress? And I, you know, I looked in the book, and it's like, oh, no, you have to make sure that you, you keep Paula, who's your weakest character for most of the game, alive, so she can pray over and over and over again. And eventually it progresses the battle to where it, it ends. I mean, it, that's... It's, a, it's actually a fun fight even knowing what to do because to keep her alive and keep that going is actually very difficult. 
but mm. but it's still like I mean I wasted an hour of my time on a system where I have safe states on a system where I you know I knew what I was getting into and I had this guidebook but if you would have rented this game for example had it long enough to get to the very end of the game I don't know how you ever would have figured out that specific mechanic to finish the game I I feel like there's a good reason uh, as far as Nintendo putting that guide in in with the game I I think they knew uh, that that this was something that that people were going to need and it actually kind of amazes me that Nintendo even published this game over here anyway. Like, it really just seems like it is just this really strange game that maybe probably Nintendo should have just kept in Japan. I'm not saying they they should have, but, like, them thinking back then, I, I can't imagine them being like, you know, the, the, we should just bring this over to the West. No one's going to know what the fuck's going on. It's a really weird game, and we're going to mm-hmm. put in, like, a $20 strategy guide in with the game just so that they can make it through certain parts of it uh it just it's it's a really weird <laughs> decision from nintendo that doesn't seem like a nintendo decision at all well and yeah and it, i don't it, know if it, it's, it, oh, go ahead sorry oh so it just it yeah it does it, it strikes me as something that i don't know how it made its way here i'm glad it did uh it's it's, it's a different experience but it, it's just not the kind of thing nintendo was was putting out and yeah the the fact that they included a guide i this is this is nintendo i mean they put out fucking castlevania 2 uh yeah the fact that they put out an entire guide for it had to say something about they were worried that there were going to be either issues or just the audience here was not going to be able to grasp this game and was going to struggle more than anything else uh i i can only imagine maybe this was some kind of experiment and had it performed better we would have been knee deep in, in earthbound games but you know the sales being what they were uh we got what we got well uh, i think there's two things i think mother the original mother did okay in japan and then mm-hmm. the sequel was fine uh so they wanted to bring it out here also uh you know the the jrpg genre in general was not considered very good in the you know not received well in the u.s oh but, yeah but that was this would have been after final fantasy 2 i don't remember if final fantasy 3 came out before this but i believe it did we were starting to buy jrpgs mm. in the u.s so it was like oh here's a here's a here's our only rpg nintendo didn't put out a bunch of rpgs himself at all and a lot of the games like you mentioned castlevania 2 that that came out they didn't do a strategy guide but that was not that was not nintendo that was konami like this ah, is a yes, nintendo yes. property a nintendo game and they were putting out strategy guides for everything. That's the other part. In, in 1994, 1995, uh, you know, really up to about 2000, strategy guides were unfortunately huge. And, and it was one of those things that when we sold games, if they had a strategy guide, we would make sure that we mentioned we have the strategy guide. Sometimes we'd package them together. We'd put them together on the shelf. So it's like, hey, if you buy the game and the strategy guide, you get uh, you know, 20% off the strategy guide, whatever it was. And, and a lot of these games came with it because... One, it was extra money for for everyone making anything, but but just a lot of these games did not define you know how to find every little secret. So this saved you the time of playing four hundred hours into a game like Final Fantasy VII, and instead it comes with a guide. It tells you what to do. You're still going to spend over a hundred hours on that, but it kind of points you in the right direction or straight out spells out what to find. So so having a strategy guide does not a big surprise. Forcing it like this is definitely a a mm. unique take mm. on how mm. to do this. Um, the other thing, and I don't know if that's why it came out here or not, but the main producer and uh, programmer for this game is former, uh, not at the time, but later on became the president of uh, 
CEO of Nintendo, Satoru Wata. So this was a game he was very involved in. It was he was the producer mm. and and the uh, the main programmer. He wasn't the create the the publisher or director that was or not publisher that he wasn't the director or the writer. That was the I'm I know I'm ruining this name Shigesato Itoi. Uh, that's the person you had mentioned earlier. He's like a musician and, a, and an artist and an actor and you know so this this game was his his game. But as far as somebody of note at Nintendo who was you know involved with with actually coding this and making it a playable game ended up being the future CEO of Nintendo. So perhaps that's why it came out here. Not really sure. Um, it, it did have an, it, it did not do well here. Like I said, it, it sold 150,000 copies, which is nothing. Uh, it, it took a long time to sell that out. It was not reviewed. Well, a lot of people did look at it and I think their immediate response playing it for five minutes is, Oh, this is like a kid's RPG. I'll go back to playing something like final fantasy three or a more involved RPG. And then literally three months later, you have the, the, the 32 bit systems coming out and then no one's playing their super Nintendo. So it, it's just a, a mix of bad timing, uh, kind of a, a bad first impression. And the, the advertising for this game, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, just miserable in the U.S. Mm. Why would you want to push that your game stinks? Like, that's just not that's not something you do. <laughs> it's like, hey, you should come see my band. We're terrible. Like, that's not something people want to do. You're not going to sell it. Hey, you should come into my house. I have no idea what I'm doing when I cook. Like, no I, one wants that. I don't think they had any idea how to advertise this game. Uh, I, if you're interested at all, though, this game has a, a fascinating backstory to it as far as just how, you know, this this it, it it was kind of like in the air as to if it was even going to be released up until kind of the last minute. Uh, it's, it's just uh, there. And there's a lot of documentaries out there on this game, uh, even like books and things that were written by fans and stuff uh, that really explains uh, in pretty good detail as to how this game came to be and how lucky we are to even uh, <laughs> got it back in the day. Even if the advertising and the force strategy guide and all that stuff was really weird, I, I think at the, at the end of the day, we were still incredibly lucky to even see this game here in the West. Yeah, and and I just I I don't I can't say I completely understand the the just a huge cult following behind this thing. I, I, I all honesty, I can't praise this as a just a great game by any means. I mean, it's it's a and I mean this in the best possible way. It is a very mediocre video game that just has an amount of charm and exceptional amount of personality it's like most people that are successful in life uh, they're completely empty there's not much to them they're pretty simple but they just have enough charm and personality to just win everybody over and that's what this thing does for me it's just i mean it's a very basic you know kind of standard jrpg it doesn't revolutionized a lot of things it has some neat parts like the you know the we talked about the your health being kind of the the wheel type thing that dials down and you can you can save yourself from a, a fatal hit or we talked about like the atm business how money is is handled in this game and, and it has a lot of flaws also but it just it it, it doesn't really revolutionize anything gameplay wise but it just it's i guess it's just the the writing of this thing is, is so clever and, and so funny in some spots and i will town of foresight has one of my new favorite video game jams but the theme to that town is outstanding and, and i don't think we mentioned the music which is, is i think was was off the charts 
Um, even some parts where the music is just kind of very subtle and very quiet, and it's more just noises here and there. Um, music for this game really uh, was the biggest surprise for me because you see with the the, the basic graphic presentation, uh, you kind of assume you're going to get the same in the audio department, which I didn't think was the case. And and the, they really went all out. There's a ton of different tracks in this game. And one thing I really appreciated that there wasn't the same fucking battle track every single time yeah that's the one thing when i was playing through rpgs you you hate when you finish one fight and you listen to the the ditty that plays while you're fighting you're immediately in another fight and it starts up again and then it starts up again there there were a collection of different ones as you progress through the game and i really appreciated that um on the music side of things and i you know for kind of playing it through for the first time uh, I, I guess like the, the main thing that I can come away with is uh, it just kind of feels comfortable, comfortable. to mm. play. Mm. Uh, it, There's very few RPGs out there that are just, uh, it, you know, it's, it's just kind of laid back, you know, for the most part, a lot of RPGs, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever, from the very get go, you know, the world is ending and you have to save it. And, but, you know, sort of that's what's going on in earthbound as well. But mm. It's just kind of fun to to go through these towns. I mean, these are just regular towns. I mean, just like something you'd be in, in your in your your city. That's just it's fun to hang out with your friends and and roll around these towns and talk to people and and see what stupid adventures that you can get into and what crazy stuff you're going to see. Uh, the underlying game, as far as like actually playing it, I don't you know it's whatever. I've played way better RPGs with better mechanics and stuff like that. But that was all kind of tossed to the side just because, you know, how, how fun and just mm-hmm. uh, comfortable it was to just sit around and play play through this game. Like, it wasn't anything that was constantly pushing you. It was just this really stress-free kind of fun game to, to play through. And I can tell mm-hmm. you why everyone would really en- would enjoy something like that. Right. It's not incredibly difficult. It is a, a very interesting story and, and at least the side quest and the fact that you... I mean, you're... You go through all the things you'd expect. There's a bunch of standard towns, and then there's desert areas, and there's a frozen area. But there's also, you know, an area where you're in some sort of underground prehistoric area where all your characters are very small. There's a section where you go through a dungeon that is a giant man that you met earlier who was not a giant man then. And then you get that giant dungeon to follow you around the map as he walks around as part of your party. I mean, there's all these little things that happen that you're like, this doesn't happen in any other game. And and underneath it, the game itself, yes, mechanically, it, it's it's a lot more like a dragon warrior than than most other games. But it it definitely has some some involved techniques later that you need to to really blow through the rest of this game. And again, there's a lot that happens in this game that it, just the side the, the flavor and the character of everything that happens is notable. So I I can see how it became a cult game. It didn't sell really well. It's hard to get into at first, at least in my opinion, the first few hours you kind of got a got to plow through to get to where this game becomes notable so so it's the kind of game that it it kind of a perfect storm of bad reasons unfortunately for nintendo but that this is one of those games that the few people that did pick it up and did play through it and did enjoy the whole game you know by word of mouth have just over the years talked about how much they like it to the point where now you know it's on the super nintendo classic it is it's on the virtual console there is a sequel mother three uh came out for the game boy advance we never got it here it was supposed to be originally on the 64 double d drive and then when that thing never really really did anything they they you know, we're going to cancel it. Then they moved it to the, the, uh, 
the Game Boy Advance. It does not continue the story of Ness. It has another character, Lucas. And again, much like Ness, I think a lot of people know Ness and Lucas only as Smash Brothers characters, uh, even though they are from the Mother series slash Earthbound. So, uh, you know, this is definitely a series that has some some pretty pretty fervent fans and it's i don't know if they're ever going to make another one i believe nintendo's basically kind of written off this series but at the same time you know ness shows up in every version of uh, of smash brothers at least every recent one and he seems to be a character they're keeping around so who knows perhaps at five years now we're talking about mother four on the whatever the next not switch would be so uh, either way this is a game i recommend if you like RPGs, if you like Dragon Warrior, if you like the early Final Fantasies, it's not fast. The mechanics aren't flashy. It's not going to, you know, there's nothing that's happening that's going to blow your mind mechanically in this game. But everything else about the game, the, the actual enjoyment of playing through it, the speed that you play it, the amount of encounters you have to have, it's just, it, it is a, like Jeremy said, it's, a, it's kind of a very laid back and interesting RPG and it's not long I think I got through this thing in 25 30 hours and that's with seeing everything I could see I could see putting another 10 to 20 in if you really want to max things out but there's no need I mean that that's the perfect amount of time for a game like this and again you can find it pretty much anywhere so it, I, I would recommend it but if you didn't like Dragon Warrior if you don't like those old RPGs this is probably not a game for you <laughs> yeah that's our thoughts on earthbound Uh, again if you like rpgs especially classic rpgs you'll probably enjoy it if you don't but you want an interesting story then check it out and if you you don't want interesting story and you hate rpgs this isn't going to change your mind so uh definitely worth in my opinion worth playing Uh, our next game for the main show is going to be a classic nes action game Uh, so we'll be putting some more hints out on social media and our next bonus show which we'll post before our next main show so next week is going to be uh, mostly about the new contra collection uh, specifically focusing on super contra the arcade version although i guarantee based on my little bit of playing so far that we're going to also talk about super c on the nintendo uh, which is you know the the home version of the arcade game and how they differ Uh, so again if if you want to listen to the bonus shows you got to be a patron so please check out our patreon there will be links uh, uh, in the in the description of this episode, but also they're all over all our social medias. I'm not going to beg you guys to do so, just going to tell you what our episodes are going forward, and maybe you're interested, maybe you're not. So, we do have some listener mail, so I would love to get into that before we end this show out, and again, remind you to check us out everywhere we are. We do have some, some listener mail, but first, it's pop quiz time. Guys, if you go onto something like givemeallyourinfo.ru, and you see some boxes there that's like, give me your social security number and stuff like that. What do you do? Do you do, you do that? Uh, I mean, I would generally, and I work in security, unfortunately, in real life. So I would I would avoid giving my social to somebody unless I'm physically looking at them. But I'm, I'm going to say just don't. Don't. If you, especially if you're at any site that's not the site you think it is or has a weird name that's not quite right, then don't put your information in. Yeah, Billy, I mean, even if I said like you get a free taco or something like that. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you didn't mention a free taco. If that's the case, you put your social in. Yes. Yeah, stop I, it. Just, yeah, to do. Everybody's got the damn thing by now. Uh, I, I guess I would have to. I'm going to have to be boring and, and just stare on the side of uh, probably don't. Okay, but what if you went to this one site 
called Retrovania.net. And you scrolled all the way to the bottom, and there was this amazing contact form. I mean, there's a thing like a white box where you can yes. text. Would you put in your information and ask us a question? Yeah, I would I would probably put my my debit card number in there. Are we requiring uh, socials for this? I, I was unaware. I was unaware. No, we are not. But you can give us those. But I can't promise you a, a free a free taco or anything like that. I, I honestly don't give us your social security number. We don't need that. Uh, but so, but if you want to ask us any question, if you want to tell us anything, do that. Go to mm-hmm. retrovania.net. Scroll all the way to the bottom. The internet's best contact form. Mm-hmm. You can put text in it and send it to us, and we'll get it. It's like magic, and we'll read it right here. And first off, we're gonna come. We're gonna start off with uh, Nunya, and uh, their message is: Dear Billy, you are oh. the spice that completes the delicious dessert that is the Retrovaniacs. Please don't oh, miss again. The Germans oh. are awesome, but the show's not the same without your sweet Southern drawl. Well, I'm glad I can help you out. I'm, it's, it's nice to be appreciated. Uh, and, and I'm gonna make I'll, I'll make an effort, I guess, since I've I touched so many lives. All right, moving on though, we're gonna go with Donovan, and uh, his subject is a song challenge. Hey guys, loving the show, but why I wrote in is because I want you to stop right now and listen to Inya's yes, Inya, anywhere <laughs> is, and tell me what I'm and tell me that I'm not crazy for hearing the stage select song from a game that you recently did. Like, it really should be obvious. Anyways, keep up the great work, and I'm sorry for making you listen to Inya. Does anyone get this yet? I'm not, uh, I'm not really hearing it. But it is familiar. Maybe the chorus is where we'll figure out exactly which song, uh, which game the song is from. Or songs like. Honestly, how many games have we played lately that even have a, a stage select? So, does anyone know? All right, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think I may have figured this one out. Yeah, uh, that was uh, clearly. Well, I say clearly now. Yeah, Yoshi's Island, the stage select. Um, and I wish I could tell you I figured that one out just using my brain, but pretty much I just went to our episode list, saw which ones didn't have stage selects on them, typed it into YouTube real quick, put it up to my ear and listen. So you, I think, it's safe to say he probably stumped us on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say we're stumped, uh, but I can hear I, it. Now that now that I've heard them back to back, and, and mm-hmm. so did everyone else listening to this, it's, it is there. I totally hear it, and uh, I'm... I guess I'm I'm more impressed with your knowledge of Enya. Yes, yes, because I I I love the Pure Mood soundtrack. It had an Enya track on it, but I can't say that's a career uh, that I follow. But but maybe maybe I'll have to continue because because maybe she has secretly just has a whole album of. I'd like to think the video games didn't copy her. Maybe she has an album of secret video game covers. I was going to say, what came first, Yoshi's Island or that song? Mm. I, I'm not going to do the research to find that out. We're going to go with that song was later. Perfect. Yes. All right. Okay. So moving on, we're going to go with Samus Westbrook. 
And uh, his subject is actually Burger Time, which is actually uh, not related to, but we did just cover this on our bonus show last mm-hmm. week, uh, Burger Time Deluxe on Game Boy. Uh, but this kind of, it, it's not related to it, but it really, you know, kind of goes with what I think of Burger Time overall. Uh, and he says, I heard Jeremy P. mention in passing that he would like to discuss Burger Time on the podcast, which we actually did. So wrap your minds around this. I put it to you that Burger Time is the original survival horror game, and here's why. You are practically defenseless. All you have is a salt shaker that is nearly empty, and once it runs out, all you can do is run. The enemies are monsters, not just cute cartoons. They're all walking hot dogs and vegetables. This is clearly the product of some kind of horrible experiment gone wrong, just like the enemies you fight in other survival horror games. The enemies themselves smile as you as they chase you, knowing full well that if they touch you, you're dead. This is the behavior this is the behavior of a psychotic freak of nature, not a piece of lettuce. And also you must rely on your wits to defeat these monsters and you're grossly outnumbered. While your surroundings are bleak, stark, and mostly black. Whenever I play Burger Time, I certainly feel like I'm playing a survival horror game, but that may just be me. Well, I mean, you know, that could be part of the fan fiction that you wrote, Jeremy. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> I, I, I remember you you went into very, very firm detail on how you wrote stories about this game. And, and I, I, mean, I yeah, do so love Burger Time. From the erotic fiction and also, you know, the, the horror fiction that way. Yes. Well, our erotic fiction is only for patrons, so that's that's a very special <laughs> Burger Time episode. But no, it, uh, I mean, I can't say you're wrong. I mean, it, it is the kind of game, much like Pac-Man, that that the entire the entire motive of your your character is to escape the whole time, and you're not going to last long because it's trying to get your quarters. So I I get it, and it's if anything, it's a, it's a fever dream. I mean, how many times have I had a dream where I was chased by giant food items? The answer is too many times to count. Yeah, that game is just a really strange game. I mean, when you think about it, I'm glad I'm not the only person that has put way too much thought into what Burger Time actually is, you know, beyond just playing it. No, I think we need a, a fan fiction collaboration. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm up for it. Uh, you know, like I said, I've got a I've got a collection. So uh, if you guys want to get get into it, I can make that happen. All right. So next question comes in from Pay the Man. And uh, his subject is the most disappointing games. And he writes in to say, what's up, guys? I love your show because my work involves tons of travel and you're all great company. What I wondered is which games were you looking forward to as a kid and or as an adult that ended up really disappointing you? Also, have you guys played Bucky O'Hare for the NES or considered covering it in an episode? I loved it as a kid, but remember it being incredibly difficult and will never forget the satisfaction I had when I finally did beat it. Thanks, and keep up all the good work. Now, I do want to mention before we get into this, we have sort of answered this question before, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we're going to try to try to figure out some different disappointing games. Well, I have I have a big I have the big two of them from my my childhood and i think predator was the one uh when this came up long ago i i think did i coerce you guys into fucking reviewing the thing on here predator nes i think Uh, we did cover it and i imagine that was Uh, because i would never have said yes that game i i cried over that one i bought that with my own money and it's the first game I ever bought with my own money. And I, I realized about 10 minutes in, I blew it. Uh, but if we're talking about big childhood video game disappointments, the other big one would have to be, it was not WrestleMania on NES, but WrestleMania, the arcade game. 
this was the one I was midway, uh, and they used the same same deal with Mortal Kombat 2, you know, the digitized actors, and it, it was really over the top. It was more of a fighting game in a wrestling ring. And, and I purchased this on the, the Super Nintendo because I, I had no impulse control. I saw it. I picked it up. And I was having an okay time with it. I, I, I have no faults with the way it played or anything like that. But come to find out, next magazine I picked up days later, uh, had it for the coming for the PlayStation. And uh, you can imagine the difference in a game from the Super Nintendo to the PlayStation. Uh, yeah, uh, PlayStation looked like an, an arcade perfect port of it, not to mention it had uh, more sound, more voices to it, and, and it had two more goddamn characters in it. One of them being damn Bam, Bam Bam Bigelow. I, I don't know how you leave him out to begin with, but he was in it, and I was incensed. I had never encountered anything like this where... You know, you had things coming out for the Super Nintendo and Genesis, and, and I'm not going to reignite the, the the war over which system performed superior. In, in, but I always just went Super Nintendo most of the time. Uh, but this was one of the few times picking Super Nintendo was not the correct choice. And I just, I tried to return it, and, and the store wouldn't take it. I tried selling this thing off to friends, uh, and, and I was just, I was saddled with this thing. And I was just so incredibly disappointed, not because it was bad, but because there was a far superior version coming out like two weeks later. And adult, I feel like it's easier to cling to that one because as an adult, I feel like video games are disappointing me uh, weekly. Uh, there's there's a lot of things you look forward to. I think you mentioned most of them in the beginning. Things like Mighty Number no. 9. Uh, things like ukulele. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of shit that you just you, you build up anticipation for and you get let down by. And I'd be remiss if I did not mention uh, that Alone in the Dark that came out for the 360 years ago. And I was a big fan of, of the PC games, played through them. I, I still stand by them today, as clunky as they are. And I was so excited that a new alone in the dark was coming and it looked tremendous. And, and to this day, that is top five worst games I've ever played. It's my bad. favorite memory of, of you playing that was when you like literally got incredibly sick <laughs> and you like lost your mind and tried to get all the achievements. I'm pretty sure you got all the achievements for that game. I had the fucking swine flu. Yeah. I, had, <laughs> I had H1N1. I was out of work for like three weeks. And, and, I remember one part where it was like in, uh, I guess, uh, the park or whatever, where you had to drive around. The roots. Yes, the roots. Yeah, there were these evil roots, and you didn't have to burn all of them down. You had to burn down a certain number. Uh, the the building that pretty much housed the the last boss encounter, uh, but there was an achievement for burning them all down, and I don't remember a lot. I mean, I we're talking. Fever to the point of probably should have been in the hospital instead of at home. 103, 104. Uh, I think I finally got it settled around 102, and I just kind of sat there, reclined back, and just hopped up on NyQuil and, and just, you know, prescription and fucking played that game. And, and for some reason, in my brain, I was determined because I woke up the next morning and I had burned down all those roots, apparently. 
I have the trophy on there or the achievement rather. And yeah, I, it's, it's a game that I had put down and, and only went to when I was near death. And I, I don't know if that means that I, you know, that was the last game I wanted to play or what it was, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, a huge disappointment wrapped up in what I guess are fond memories for other people. Cause I have no memory of it myself. I mean, I can't not say that Zelda 2 uh, was not one of my biggest disappointments. Uh, th- there have been many games where I, you know, w- wanted the next game in the series to be so good, and it just wasn't. The 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 Metal Gear sequel that came out in the U.S. Snake's Revenge is nowhere near as good as Metal Gear. Um, Final Fantasy VIII is maybe my biggest disappointment, but thankfully, uh, I actually was disappointed from the the launch of the demo that I didn't buy the game until years later and was like, yep, I was right. This game is terrible. I mean, there there are lots of games that were not as good as I wanted them to be, but I think that the bigger ones have to be the realization for the NES era that a lot of licensed games, you know, you brought up Predator, Billy, a lot of licensed games were garbage. And mm-hmm. I think the ones, you know, the, I, I definitely played roulette on a game I'd never heard of, and then I take it home and it wasn't that good. or Or a game that, you know... It's an arcade game, and therefore the home version at that time probably wouldn't be as good as a current arcade game, you know, like Rampage. It played fine, but you know you, you were missing a character, you couldn't play three players at once, and it was nowhere near as fun as the arcade. But but it still was, was Rampage. But no, like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not the one that was the arcade game, but the, the original one Ultra Games put out where you, you have to pick which turtle you're going to be it's single player only when you lose a turtle they're quote captured and you have to use another turtle that means you lose your best weapons that game was rough but but i convinced myself i liked it the one that's definitely the one i was the most excited about and was the biggest letdown is the original x-men game for the nintendo that ljm put out that is just it is a bad game it is it is a top down essentially a top down shooter uh, where you have to to find like hidden junk and get get to the top of the the level, and then it goes back down to like escape the level. And you're supposed, you know, you you can pick which X Men you're going to be, but they all look like just multicolored blocks. And they, mm-hmm. it's a sucky game. It is so bad. Like I couldn't even convince myself it was good. It was literally like five minutes into buying that game, me and my brothers were just laughing at how awful we were for picking this game. And we tried, we tried over and over again to figure out how it would be a good game because you know at that time. If it's your game, it's the only one you're going to get for months. And we never we never beat a level. We, we never got any farther in the game. It is, a, it is hands down the worst game, but also the biggest disappointment. Because how do you screw up the X-Men? And the answer is make it a top-down shooter where everyone's a block. Oh, it's so bad. I, one of mine was actually a, a licensed game like that. I was actually a huge fan of the Rocketeer back in the day. Ooh. And the NES Rocketeer wasn't bad. And like it was, it was a decent little game. But then the Rocketeer came out on the Super NES, and you look at the back mm-hmm. of that box, and it looks really great. Like the graphics look decent. But then I actually rented that, and it was one of the absolute worst games I've ever played. In fact, we've got an entire video review of that on our YouTube channel. I couldn't uh, get beyond the beginning. We yeah, had to fly no, the fucking wrong. plane. You no, know, you have to do that like three three times in a row. Just to make it past that, it, it's such a stupid game. It's terrible. Uh, but I think uh, one of my uh, absolute worst regrets was uh, Contra: Legacy of War for the PlayStation. Mm. Oh, it's so bad. It's so I bad. was, you know, I'm the biggest Contra mm. fan in the world. Love Super Contra, 
And uh, I, I was just really waiting to see what that next step was going to be. And the PlayStation was going to be that. I was like, you know, what could they put, you know, going from Contra on the NES to Super Contra on, uh, you know, Contra 4, whatever, on Super NES, it's like, holy shit. Like, that's amazing. Or Contra 3, sorry. Um, it's like, that's that's a huge step up. And like going from that to the PlayStation, I, I couldn't even imagine. And I couldn't have imagined because it is literally just a pile of shit. It is one of the absolute worst games that I've ever played. Not just Contra. It is a terrible, terrible game. Okay. Uh, and, and I will never forgive myself for actually buying that game. Ooh. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I tried my best. It was one of those ones, like you were mentioning, like, you know, you buy a game and you try your best to like it. I was sure, you know, it's Contra. It's going to be amazing. No. No, it is it is literally one of the worst games I've ever played. Yeah, that that's bad. There, there was a, a similar, but nowhere near as big because I knew just from the get go it was going to be shit. There was a PlayStation era uh, Blaster Master sequel that was not put out by Sunsoft. It was not put out by the original developers. Just whoever owned the the license put out a. It was a first person, three D PlayStation reimagining of Blaster Master, and it is just pure garbage but i knew it was garbage it came out brand new at 20 dollars, which is not a good sign uh at that time frame so i did not expect to be good but legacy of war i remember like i was so excited and yeah it, it was not that good i thankfully never bought it but I, I was able to try every game when it came out so i knew from five minutes in like no i i have no business buying this game but yeah that would have been a massive letdown to own that oh it was it was terrible like it was just heartbreaking because you know that that was kind of my game for for me and my dad to play We've been playing Contra games forever. And then to, to sit down to that and, you know, it, you're just trying so hard to enjoy it. And it's, it's just impossible because it's such a bad game. If you've never played Legacy of War, I don't ever recommend doing it. But just maybe go to YouTube, look that up, look at some gameplay. Does that look like Contra? No, it looks like a piece of shit. And that's exactly what it was. Anyway, our next and last question comes in from Seth, which is not the Sephiroth, but just Seth. And uh, he writes in to say, Retrovaniacs, I love the podcast, but how excited are you guys about the TurboGrafx-16 Mini? They just announced it at E3. Yes, I know. It's Jeremy already getting an erection over there. Oh, boy. Also, I know that previously people, a.k.a. me, have asked about certain games being featured on the podcast, and we're told that PS2 was just too recent to be considered. With the 20th anniversary of the PlayStation 2 upon us, is there any chance of you guys bending that rule? I'd love to hear a Retrovanix review about the likes of Bully or Mr. Mosquito. Just wondering, the podcast is amazing no matter what, and thanks for taking the time out of your lives to entertain us. P.S. What do them toes do? Well, I'm not going to interrupt my toes. They are not worth talking about. Uh, and, and actually, I have thought about that, uh, adding PlayStation 2 or the original Xbox, uh, just for, you know, you're right, hitting the 20-year anniversary of those those systems. And there are definitely games, like the ones you just mentioned, Mr. Mosquito specifically, that I would love to cover. Um, it's worth discussing further. Uh, the three of us can can talk about it later. Uh, we are almost at the the hundred episode mark. Perhaps that's when we should open the gates to those newer systems in that next tier. I don't know. Um, someone said ten years is what it takes to become a retro system. I think that's too soon. Uh, but twenty twenty might be a good number to <laughs> to use of whether or not I determine it's acceptable. Um, I I would love to to open that up more 
to, to cover some of those games. There are definitely games from that era that are unique and different and worth talking about. And, and so that, that is on the table. Um, but as far as the, 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 the TurboGrafx Mini PC Engine Mini, that is, that is very exciting news. And the most <laughs> exciting piece of it is that the Ease 1 and 2 collection will finally be available in its original, well, not original format, but in the most popular format, again, for everybody without having to own a TurboGrafx or do some emulation uh, illegally on your computer. You can actually just buy this box for Ease 1 and 2. And if nothing else comes with it, that's well worth it. But uh, but I'm sure, and they've only listed, I think, six games, and I think R-Type was one of them. And there's definitely games worth playing on it. I mean, obviously, we've covered several. Uh, but I would, I would love that system to be good. I can't say I haven't turned my Super Nintendo Classic into, as well, a TurboGrafx Mini. But, but to have one that has the Ease games and maybe some of the other CD games in a more accessible format, uh, 100% I would buy that. And I'm going to buy it anyway because that system rules. And, and I'm very excited to see what else they put out. And if we get some of those games that never came out in the U.S., like Rondo of Blood, even better. I, I am excited about it because, you know, I, I said before that this was the system that, that I never had and I'd never really much access to growing up. So uh, that, being, that being said, uh, having done this podcast, I, uh, I know of a lot of games that I hope do not make it onto that system. Um, and, but we'll see. I, I, I don't know if they are just saving this thing for the hits or not, but I, I hopefully they're not going to waste a spot with the likes of JJ and Jeff and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they throw on there. And no doubt it's going to be a ton of games. Uh, I most likely have not played through, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it and, Whew, I guess if nothing else, there will be more TurboGrafx-16 reviews in, in our future. That's There's the clapping. News. That is I, the best I, news. I, I can't see either of these Jeremy's, <laughs> but I, I could take a good guess which one's clapping. I mean, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. I, I think it's really neat. Yeah. You know, Konami, they, they own the rights to this stuff. Now mm-hmm. they do, right. They weren't the original owners, but... Yes, right. But, but it's really cool to see them actually doing something with it, you know? And, and if they keep the quality up to, to the standards of what they did, the Castlevania and the Contra collections, I think it'd be really a pretty cool little system. Yeah, I, I think keeping the quality up will include keeping silent debuggers off of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that game was neat at the time, but you're right; it did not age very well. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really want to see a, a games list for it, but I, I think that's a, it's a much better way to, to to experience those those games without having to pay the incredible prices that you have to pay to buy a mm-hmm. new system or you know classic system from and the games like those games. If you're one, if you're a collector and you're really wanting to get into that and, and play those games. Man, the prices for those things are just insane these days. Uh, but yeah, just to be able to get it in a, a tiny little system, and if the game selection is pretty decent, I, I'm looking forward to it. The system has plenty of great arcade shooters, and and I would love to see. I mean, you know, R types on there, but they have you know, Blazing Lasers is great. Uh, there's a, a Arrow Blasters on there. There's a bunch that are super good. And if, if half of those games are just shooters, I'll be thrilled with that with that collection. So, yes, I, I think we're all, uh, I don't want to say equally excited, but we're all excited for it. And I'm, I'm still surprised that it's happening. I keep waiting for someone to be like, no, we made this up and it somehow took off on the Internet. It's not real because I can't imagine anyone other than me is excited. But uh, I'm glad to hear that at least one listener 
and you guys partially, are excited for the mini TurboGrafx-16s. So if you have a question for us, you know, like uh, Jeremy said at the beginning, you can go to the question form there. That's the best way to get a hold of us, and it allows you the easiest way to, to ask us a question. But you can also always ask them on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or on all those things at RetroVania.net. Or you can find them and, of course, the link to our Patreon at RetroVania.net itself. Uh, check out our Patreon. We do offer bonus episodes to patrons along with some monthly drawings and the ability to actually tell us what game to cover. Uh, if those things interest you, check it out. Otherwise, don't. And we will be back in two weeks with an NES-era action game. 